0: Vahini and I were talking the other day and we realized that we never told the story of how we met and eventually how Gen Ziel was born. In the summer of 2020, Vahini and I were both elected to the Executive Board for the Association of Big Ten Students, me as the Communications Director and Vahini as our c- Conference Coordinator. At our first meetings together, we instantly gravitated towards each other and it became increasingly clear Um, that online instruction would continue to be the norm in the upcoming school year. So we had to get creative on how we were going to keep student advocacy engaged when we likely couldn't meet face-to-face at all. That's where our guest this week, Bree, comes in. She was serving as our executive director, i.e. our boss, and thought Vahini and I should join forces to create opportunities for students to stay engaged with the advocacy work that their campuses still needed. After brainstorming for months, all Vahini and I could come up with was a podcast where we would talk about the funny-slash-slightly-scary things happening within the walls of student government. Bree, knowing that we were kind of on the right track, um, instead suggested that we create a podcast series where panels of students would talk about the issues that they cared most about. The episodes range on a variety of topics from student-athlete activism to black students who are making history on their campuses. Although it only ran for one season, the podcast, called Between Class, concluded with five episodes, which Vahini and I are both still so proud of. While Vahini and I were also transitioning into the next phase of life, one that didn't include both of us being involved in ABTS, we realized that we didn't want to stop doing what we had started. We wanted to give young people a platform to share their passions, their inspirations, and the things that make them tick. Thus, Ziel was born. Although many things have changed about our different podcasts um, and how they've taken shape, one thing has stayed constant, that they are true labors of love guided by amazing leaders, friends, and mentors like Brie. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Gen Zeal, um, we are so 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 happy to have our guest today. We've been like holding her out for like a very special episode for everyone, um, and it's just time. So I'll turn it over to Vahini to get this introduction going.
1: I'm so excited to give this introduction. I've never been more excited for an intro because today we are sitting down with a dear dear friend of the pod, Bree Sislow Shuda. Bree is an alumnus of the University of Minnesota, where she majored in being the baddest in the Midwest. She is a leader, an incredible friend, and a Taurus stellium just like me. Welcome, Brie.
2: Hello. Thanks, y'all, for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: I'm so excited to have you. Um, Let's jump right into the rapid fire. So some people may know this, maybe like 10 people, Um, but... We met while working on the executive board of the Association of Big Ten Students, where you were executive director, and Dylan and I were on e-board.
0: We were the rebel rousers, the troublemakers, the, um... That's
1: very true,
2: that's very true, <laughs> they were the troublemakers.
1: But, like, good trouble, you know? It was good, it was fun trouble, it was fun trouble, maybe not good trouble, but it was fun. So, can you please share your favorite memory of working with Dylan and I? I don't know. There's
2: so many to choose from, but I think my favorite memory has to be how y'all got your podcast start on ABTS. I don't know if the viewers know this, but I inspired Gen Zeal, and I'm going to put <laughs> it in there. I'm going to say it now. I'm Gen Zeal's muse. That's my favorite.
0: <laughs> kind of like when Joss Safty wrote Uncut Jams. <laughs>
2: A little, maybe. I mean, I was Josh Safty's muse when he wrote on Kajab. Right. Okay. Well, beyond being the muse for Gen Ziel, I think my favorite time <laughs> working with Vahini and Dylan is just. I don't know, they bring a lot of light and energy to every, you know, meeting that you go to, every project that they work on. They're both two very bubbly and energetic people that kind of make advocacy an enjoyable and fun thing.
0: Yeah, and here's the thing. I'm just going to say it. With some of the people in student government, I don't know if they would make some of this work, I would say, fun. So, that is a testament to our ability to make not fun things fun.
1: And I do have to say, while Brie was talking, Dylan and I were blushing and, like, being very awkward. Okay, so, next question. You are from Minnesota. Um, I am not, thankfully, but I know that you have a lot of pride. Disrespectful. Can you, can you make a case for the Midwest? Absolutely, I can make a case for the Midwest.
2: Um, One, I'm going to put it on there that Minnesota is definitely a top five state. I think we got the nature, we got the culture, we got the city. Like, it's all good vibes. There's no air pollution in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Cough, cough, New Jersey, because they can't breathe over there. Um, And you know, we're just Midwest Humble. We're good people. We're just nice, fun, good-hearted Midwesterners, right, Dylan?
0: And hey, affordable living, who loves it? Check. Um, Four distinct seasons. Check. It's not humid all the time. Check. And we have the Great Lakes. Check. (laughs) But I do have to just take a moment with this platform that I have to say that unfortunately, Iowa and Missouri are not part of the Midwest. Like, it's coming, like, I'm coming to you first. Like, I think that they're something all of their own. Whenever they say, like, they're part of the Midwest, I'm just like, they're really just not. They, like, don't have the same vibe as the rest of us.
2: I don't think so, and I also don't think that Ohio's a part of the Midwest. That's a really hot take, but Ohio's weird, and I just don't include them in my Midwest. Sorry, not sorry.
1: Don't they have a lake? I don't know. I mean, in typical Midwestern fashion, Brie and Dylan defended the lakes as being very interesting and even quantified them for our listeners. You know,
2: 9,995.
0: Even though it's close to 11,000. It
2: is close to 11,000.
1: That's good. However, none of their lake talk was very convincing.
0: Um, our last uh, rapid fire is, if you were a Jonas brother, which would you be and why?
2: So y'all sent me this question prior, and I really had to sit down and reflect to think about it. (laughs) Originally, I wanted to say Nick because I'm the youngest in my family, but Nick wrote that song in Camp Rock where he's like, I don't like cheese, and that's Mm -hmm. just not me (laughs) at
0: all. (laughs) I love how that's where you drew the line of the same.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I was like, you know, I would be Nick, but for that reason, I'm not. So I'm going to say I'm a Joe because I think I'm more likable than a Kevin
1: about because we've had this conversation among the three of us where we i think decided otherwise that dylan was kevin you were nick and i was joe did
2: we really have that conversation
0: our group chat was literally called the jonas brothers
1: i'm
2: really forgetful i'm sorry okay well then maybe i am cap maybe i am nick and i'll go with nick because i think he's the he's the cutest
1: okay anyways let us move on to the real stuff the reason we have you here on the pod First question, removing all labels that have to do with work or labor, um, school, academia. Who the hell are (laughs) you? What are your favorite titles for yourself? Like, what should we know about you and who you are?
2: I'd say first and foremost, I'm a Black woman, like, period, point blank. I think that's a good description. And I think that community has been the most welcoming to me and the most uplifting to me throughout my entire life. Two... I would say I'm a daughter. I think, like, my role in my family is really important to me. Shout out my parents. I love them very much. And I think that that has guided, like, how I walk through the world. Three, people might not know this about me, but I would still call myself a dancer because that's what I did my entire life growing up before, you know, I had to graduate from high school and move on to the real world.
1: And yeah, those are three things
2: that I think are close to me.
1: And so those are all really, I think, dope labels and simple but easy and great labels to have. And I think like Dylan and I were having this conversation where for the first 18, maybe 22 years of our life, labels come really easily to us. We're students, we're workers, we're um, part of this org, we're brothers, we're, you know, whatever roles that we hold in that Our 20s sometimes can be a really big shock for a lot of us to be like, okay, when I'm not a student, when I'm not a worker, like, who the heck am I? And so I think, like, we're curious to know, like, how have you found these labels for yours? Like, I guess some of these labels can be ascribed to you, but how have you embraced these labels for yourself?
2: That's a really good question. I think with the first one, my understanding of Blackness has definitely changed as I've grown up. Um... One thing about the Midwest, it's very predominantly white, especially where I grew up. And I think for me at first, like, blackness was maybe something that I wasn't as fully comfortable in and wasn't as familiar with just because it wasn't what was around me. Um, so I think growing up, I've had to kind of find my own definition of what black means to me and be able to, like, step into that identity for myself. So whether that means, like, me feeling more comfortable wearing like my natural hair or me feeling more comfortable like speaking out about issues that are important to me or central to me. I think those are all things that have helped me define blackness for myself and will kind of shape my identity of blackness in the future. But it's always fluid. Like that's what I think about labels. They're very fluid. They're not like a set in stone black and white thing.
0: I think like building off of that, um, having been like, having known you like, evident working with you that you kind of bring your whole self into a space like you don't segment yourself whenever you enter into a room like you're like this is who I am these are the things that are important to me um and that's kind of translated into being like this really great communicator when it comes to being like being vulnerable with people and like letting people know like exactly where you're at in terms of like your work relationships which is something that I know I can speak to that like is extremely beneficial in a working relationship. One, when someone's willing to make that jump first and, like, encourage you to also do so. But, yeah, I'm kind of just... We're kind of wanting to explore, like, where does that come from? Like, was there, like, a lesson that you learned along the way that you're just, like, it's better to just bring your whole self into an environment like that? Um, Is it just something that you've kind of always done?
2: Hmm. That's, that's a good question. I don't think it's something that I've always done. And I think I go back to that definition of growing up in a community where I didn't see myself reflected too much that I think I tried to fit into other boxes and like, cut out parts of me to be accepted by the larger community. And I think that's a feeling that doesn't feel good to a person. And so I think part of growing up and stepping into your whole self is, owning everything that comes with you and like being able to communicate your story and like share the things that are important to you. And so for me, I just think it came with confidence and it came with time. It came with me understanding that like people respected me for my whole self and respected the opinions that I brought to the table. And I think I had to respect myself like first and foremost, like not just being dependent on what others think of me, but also having like being able to show myself enough self-love to be like hey this is you this is how you're gonna show up in a space and this is what you bring and like that's amazing and I think that's a lesson that everybody should be able to learn is this is like the authentic person that I am and this is how I'm gonna show up in any space um when I think of where this came from my mom is definitely like a big person that I look to for someone who's super authentic and always wears their emotions on their sleeve like shows up in the mood that they're gonna bring to the room and so I think for me that was just a good role model for me to look up to my entire life and I think I just brought that with me into college and into the work environment now
1: I'm kind of curious to know I think that like I'm still learning how to show up as my whole self but um in the way that you were describing it I know that being honest and vulnerable can be a really like liberating um, practice and discipline. But I also know that sometimes it can be exhausting and like heavy to constantly bring all that you are everywhere. Um, Is that something that you've ever experienced or like, is that something that you still do experience? You know, how do you navigate that if you do?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think being vulnerable is probably one of the most difficult things that you can do. You're opening yourself up to everybody and I don't know. I feel like vulnerability can be a strength. And I think once you start to see it in that way, it kind of changes your perspective on it. I think our culture raises people to see vulnerability as a weakness, um, especially if you think of like how our culture views masculinity or like how our culture views black women being emotional or being like showing their emotions or wearing them on their suits. Like I think of how the media, you know, like represented Serena Williams if she would lose versus like, maybe how they would represent a white woman who would lose and how she would show her emotions. And so I think you kind of have to be able to change your perspective on what vulnerability is and look at it as a strength instead of a weakness. Something that my grandma told me that really has stuck with me since she said it to me about a year ago is that you're a gift to your generation. And I think that idea of who you are and, who you, and what you bring to the table... Is a gift, and I think once you're able to recognize the uniqueness of your experiences and your story and claim that as a victory, I think it becomes anything but a challenge.
0: Wow, wow! Like mic drop, y'all. Usually we save the mic drop moments for the end, but Bree said I'm coming right out the gate. (laughs) Um, But no, something that like I think I've appreciated going along a similar journey. Is that like being vulnerable in a space is ne- necessary for me, but helpful for others. Like it's helpful for the people that I'm working with to like know where I'm at. But like, I don't know, like I think having worked in those spaces before, now I can't help but do it. Because I'm like, I literally just have to. Like it's like, I it's literally just part of the way that I function now. Like I think just thinking about it like that, like it's been a necessity for me, but it's helpful for others is like it kind of helps you take that first step because it's like when you're centering yourself in all of it, the the returns are going to be so much more. When you're not being vulnerable for other people, you're being vulnerable because you are going to get something out of it.
2: Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think vulnerability like inspires the community to be vulnerable. So I think if you can show up in a space and be your authentic self and be like, this is what I'm going through and this is Like, I don't want to say baggage because that sounds negative, but this is what I'm carrying with me today. And maybe like somebody else will feel more inspired to be vulnerable in like a work environment in the future because like you took that step to be more authentic and be more honest and genuine. So I think I really agree with that. And I like that framing, Dylan.
1: As a leader, you're probably one of the most remarkable I've ever gotten the chance to work with. Um, of course, you're impactful and all of the amazing, brilliant things that a leader should be. But another thing that you're really amazing at is being incredibly compassionate and human and acknowledging the humanity and all the people that you're around, um, which is incredibly unique in a quote unquote, like professional or like organizational setting. And something that like really resonated with me in the time that we got to work together is that you're really good um, at Making sure that your team knows to rest, to care for themselves um, and to check in with themselves and to do what's best for them. Before working with you, if I had heard that, I would assume that it would, you know, foster like a lazier, more carefree or more lackadaisical kind of work environment or less impactful. But I think like having gotten to participate in it, it made everyone so much more excited to work, um, excited to do things and like re-energized. But this isn't something that's common at all in like any kind of, you know, space where you're supposed to be completing tasks and producing kind of like results and such. So I kind of wanted to know, like, where does this awareness of self care, self love of rest come from? Because it's incredibly unique and something I hadn't experienced before meeting you. Okay, wow. One that I'm
2: blushing now. Thank you so much. I think I think when you really love the work, you can, like, love the people that you're working with, if that makes sense. And so I think for me, it's, like, this idea of leading authentically, of I can't expect people to show up and do the work without recognizing, like, the humanity that they bring to the everyday, like, the day-to-day, the monotony. Like, you bring things that maybe, like, other folks won't bring just because we're all in different places. We're very disconnected right now with covid and we don't know when it's going to end. Sorry. I just had like a moment of me looking off in the distance thinking like, "Oh my god, it's been 2 years." I'm <laughs> just sitting online and like I really miss connecting with people in person. But I think that's part of it. it's like you can't see you can't see physically what people are going through anymore cuz you're not in the room with them. So you have to be extra cautious of like let me be gentle with somebody today instead of let me like just burst into the room and expect um, everything to be done in the way that I wanted it to be. I don't know if that makes sense, but you asked me what my practices were for self-care and where I got this awareness. <sighs> my mom has a saying, she's also a therapist. I'm going to reference her a lot today. Um, she says, she says self-care is mandatory. And that's something I have to remind myself every day because it's not always something you put on your to-do list. You know, like you, You put the things that you got to get done. You put what you have to do for work, what you have to do for, you know, your family, your community. But where are you putting yourself on your to-do list is something that I think we all should consider a little bit more and something I have to consider a little bit more. Um, And I think self-care looks different for everybody. So for some people, it might be like taking a walk every day or making a meal that makes them really happy and for others that might be cleaning their space like for me I can't focus if my space is really disorganized and so just doing the little things for yourself that put you on the top of your to-do list and not others
1: and something so self-care I think has been a generally new concept to me um, college and such and i guess since the pandemic um and so i think like we also have a really interesting perspective of it being like face masks and bubble baths and things but i think you like touched on the fact that like it's what allows you to show up as yourself in the best way um and like something that like i've learned with my therapist is that at least for me like self-care is discipline which is actually seems exhausting and overwhelming but like It can mean that like I need to put myself to bed at this time so that I can make sure that, you know, I'm on track with all my work that I have to do. It means that I get to eat meals at like a regular time. It means I get to like function in a way that is healthy and good. But it also takes a lot for me to actually put that into place. And I'm not always good at it. Um, And so like I think it also takes a lot of like sitting with yourself and seeing how you're feeling and how to like affect that. Um, And, like, self-care, as you said, looks different, but it can also feel incredibly different for everybody.
2: I definitely agree with that. Um, I think you're right with the sentiment that self-care is always, like, a very luxurious, like, beautiful, very, like, calming thing. Like, sometimes self-care is just saying no. (laughs) Like, that's something I have to work on all the time is no, like, I can't stay late and finish this project or no, I can't show up for you in this way right now because I'm barely showing up for myself and I think those are difficult things to do because as people I think we want to please others at least myself let me not speak for everyone as myself I'm definitely a people pleaser I like to make others happy and so a big self-care thing for me is how do I make sure that I'm putting myself first um even when it's hard and when it's not fun or it's not like an easy thing to do but I think you're right, that idea that it's discipline and it's a practice, you have to do it every single day. It's not just something that is like a once in a while fun thing to do. It's like a regimented part of your life.
0: <laughs> no, I was just going to say like, I vividly remember like this conversation that Bree and I had once and it was like shattered my entire worldview because like no one had just presented something like this to me. But like it kind of all ties in that I think especially our generation and like... Maybe it's because of like the the social things going on as we've grown up. But I think we've always, we've learned to be, to extend grace to people in areas and at times that like we don't extend grace to ourselves. And I literally, I've, I vividly remember like Bree saying that to me once. Like I think I was like stressing out about something probably that like absolutely did not need to be stressed out about. And Bree was just like, are you extending grace to yourself that you would extend to another person? Because like you're a like." You know what I mean? And so I just remember saying, like... I just remember being like, wow, like... I'm not forgiving myself for something that I'm... for. I would forgive someone else for, like, in a heartbeat. Because it's like... That's the compassionate thing to do. And so, like... Sh- I think showing yourself that compassion sometimes... Is often, like, the scariest and hardest first step. Because once, like... Because I think, like... I've learned that, like, the face masks aren't going to make me less stressed. It's only going to be when I... like. I just accept like, okay, I did my best and I did what I could do. Like, like you just have to sometimes just let it be. Um, And I think when you extend yourself that grace, some of those other things, like finding those other things that work for you and help you show up as your best self start to become a little more clearer because you're not just constantly overburdened with like the, I'm not doing enough, like inner saboteur, like in the back of your head.
1: For sure. And, and like, I'm, like, thinking about the idea of, like, the face masks aren't going to make me less stressed and, like, the idea that we can separate these things into things that are, like, luxurious and fun and, like, feel good and feel nice and are indulgent and the things that are, like, genuinely, like, necessary and, like, it's just kind of incredible the way that, like, life can fall together, like, For example, me actually getting my life together means that I'm less stressed and don't bite my nails anymore, which is such a thrill for me, which means I actually get to go get them done now, um, which I haven't been able to do in like five ever. Um, And so I think like for me, that's my little face mask moment where it's like, because I finished my work, because I did everything, because I'm not stressed, I actually one, have time to go and two, have the nails to actually go do it. Um, so that's been incredibly <laughs> fun that's like gross but also fun and real for me um <laughs> totally
2: totally but, and I think that idea of structure is important this is I'm reading this book right now called Atomic Habits I swear every single girl and their mom's reading it all the TikTok release are all over this book but it is really good and it talks about this idea of like rewarding yourself for the habits and the systems that you've like built into your life and I think that's a really great reward of like I went to bed at this time and I got the things I needed to do done today and I said no to unnecessary people and I blocked out like things that weren't serving me so now I'm gonna reward myself with something that makes me feel good like those are all steps that are important in this whole like system of taking care of yourself and I'm still reading the book so I gotta still put this stuff into practice but everyone else should read the book too because I really do think it's it's a good lesson.
1: Drop the title in the author.
2: Uh, it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear.
1: Yeah, check it out. We'll plug it. We'll plug it on the socials.
0: No, but I think, like, something that's also really important is this idea behind, like, having a system and having intention behind it. I know that this is something that I'm kind of going through, like, like in the young professional working world, where it's like, if I, like, have a direction that I think I need to go, I'm, like, learning, like, okay, I need to, like, actually... Like, like I don't know. It'll be something simple at work. Like, oh, I want to become better at, like, XYZ in my job. But, like, just saying, like, that I want to become better at XYZ. And I think something that Bree was really helpful with, like, as a supervisor, manager... We never... None of us got paid for any of these jobs, so we use these terms, like, very loosely. A team member who was, like, in charge of us, um, she always was, like, very forward and putting like the okay like our mental health is important so like it would be built into like our monthly goals and I think like that's something that like could be really helpful for people who are wanting to take that first step is it's like just set a goal like it it can be something so small it can be something um like like Vahini said like maybe just I want to do this to stop biting my nails like I want to add some structure in my life so I'm not as stressed anymore but like you need to have intention behind like what does adding structure look like because I know I've been there before where it's like okay like this month I want to become a lot better at like how I manage my time and like then I'm there at the end of the month and it's like okay like I was just like thinking like I want to be better at time management like but what were the systems I put in place to actually actualize that and I think that that's like a crucial step that people don't talk about enough like we talk about the goal setting and talk about like the the forward looking like where do i want to be but like i think some of the practicality visionary practice uh practical visionaries as brie calls it um like you you got to have that practicality p
1: drops gems and forgets like literally i know exactly what dylan's talking about brie just doesn't even know her power
2: Y'all are really sweet and I have to be honest with the Gen Z listeners like I can talk about all this stuff and I'm the worst person at routines like the worst person I know and it's something that I have to grow in and like hold myself accountable I know my mom will probably listen to this podcast and she'll be like girl you do not you do not have these routines down and Dylan's right we got to actualize the things we've got to take the small steps to put the systems in place so us three will hold each other accountable.
0: But Bree, as like someone who's worked on like in these really impactful spaces, um, I know often a lot of the work that we did in ABTS was kind of centered um, in like making a difference. And I know that there, there is somewhat of a burden that comes of operating in that space that if you feel like, you know, if you're do, if you are doing these things for, you know, self-care, taking your time for peace, then that's taking you away from your work. And your work is, like, supposed to be helping people. So, like, I think there's kind of this, like, weird, like, stigma almost um, with, like, taking time and, like, extending grace to yourself in those spaces. So how have you been able to find that balance between, um, you know, the very important work um, that is, like, core to how you want to influence the world, but also, like, centering yourself at the same time?
2: That's a great question, Dylan. I think there's two parts to it. One, I think you have to ask yourself, how, do I, how am I able to show up as the best version of myself? And when you really sit back and think about that, if you're tired, if you haven't slept, if you haven't taken the time to like process maybe the trauma that you're witnessing in your work, maybe you aren't gonna be able to show up as your best self. And maybe if you take a step back to take care of yourself, to recharge, to re-energize, even if it's just for 30 minutes, you can show up and produce better work for the issues that you care about. And I think that's something that I really struggle to remind myself because I think urgency culture is a product of white supremacy and capitalism. And I think this idea that everything has to happen now and everything has to happen immediately is sometimes hard because... Like, I don't know, life happens. And you just got to be able to take things as they come and take it an hour at a time or a day at a time and just work through what's happening. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's the idea of stepping away from urgency, urgency culture, taking the time to take care of yourself so that you can show up for the work that you're doing and be the best person in the spaces that you're able to
1: lead and impact change. Again, with the mic drop. I... I... I'm really glad. I'm just really, really glad that you're here. Um, And I think, like, another thing that I want to touch on while we have you, um, I think that, you know, you've spoken a lot about love and community and care. um, And I know that, like, you share this very generously with everyone that you're in contact with. Um, And so I'm kind of curious to know, like, Would you consider these, like, your gifts? And, like, what would it mean to be gifted in such a way? Um, And, like, how do we get there in terms of identifying what we have to share?
2: I think identifying your gifts is almost like a lifelong journey. I don't know. I heard this thing in a sermon where they said you can turn, like, your pain into your purpose. And... I know that's kind of a cliche, but it's something that I think has stuck with me. It's that, for example, I think for me growing up in a white community was very hard. Like growing up in a school where like nobody looked like me, like no teachers looked like me, was a difficult thing for me to rationalize with as a black child, as a biracial child. But I also think it taught me how to be a really good communicator with a lot of different people and it taught me how to maybe navigate uncomfortable spaces which a lot of the times when we're challenged we're in a space that maybe is like uncomfortable or new or like pushes you out of what you're used to and so I think for me I was able to turn that idea of this was something hard that I experienced into what lessons did I take away from that experience and how can I take it with me moving forward.
1: I, I'm like, really glad that you brought in the idea of like, this being a lifelong journey. And also, like the idea that everyone has something, I guess. And like, I'm kind of thinking, um for us, in Hinduism, in Sanatana Dharma, there's like this idea of Dharma, which is your path, which is what is righteous to you and how it's different for everybody. Um, and how like, again, it's a journey to find it. And it's even more important to use it. Um, and I think like that's overwhelming and scary sometimes because you're like, what the heck do I have? And it comes from a source of either humility or insecurity or just like feelings of being lost. But I think it can also be incredibly empowering to know that not only do you have something special, unique, powerful about you, um, but that you're also obligated to use it and to share it and to do something with it. Um, and I know that that can be scary, and I know that, especially as young people, that's pretty overwhelming, but I do want to say that you're I enjoy the gifts that you've shared with all of us um and like being your friend is super fun because of it um and I'm like, glad. I enjoy
2: the gifts you share with me, both of you, and I think you both have started something where you're trying to uplift the gifts that other people share. And I think that's really cool. And maybe part of your gift is uplifting others and highlighting others and shining a light on the things that we don't always talk about. And I think going back to what I said right at the beginning of this is that there's power in being vulnerable. And I think people who create spaces where you can be vulnerable should be celebrated too. So celebrating the Gen Z creators here because y'all are making space for vulnerability and making space for us to have human connection, which is one of the most powerful
0: things. Well, thank you so much for that glowing review. If you want to submit it on Apple Podcasts, like, we will not stop you. Mm, Okay. (laughs) I don't know how you could get that into, like, a short little, like, 250 characters, but you can do (laughs) it. Um, (laughs) So kind of our last point here, something that's been kind of really important um, and kind of like a a forward looking um but not also not forward looking but sort of a um to thesis to thesis statement I'm saying it like it's a verb to provide a thesis statement for everything we kind of just talked about um how does that trickle down into um what we're saying for the season is what is your strongest conviction so like how does all of that build into you know that one thing or those few things that you just think like no matter how much shit the world throws at you, like this is something that you know in your core to be true. So
2: I'm going to quote my grandma again. She is literally the matriarch of our family. So a very like powerful lady. But when the racial uprisings were happening in the twin cities, I think that was a very emotional and charged time for me. Um, And something my grandma told me, and, you know, she went to Howard and, like, was a part of advocacy at Howard, and so it's, like, cool how things come full circle, but something she told me was, the struggle continues, but victory is certain, and I think that is something that I can apply to my whole life of these issues that I work on, like, the struggle continues, but, like, I see a greater future, or even, like, in my own self-work of, maybe, like, in this stage of my life recently, I've been struggling with, like, anxiety and, like, OCD, but I know that the victory of me overcoming that and, like, being able to translate that pain into something different, like, that's gonna happen, and so, yeah, I think the struggle continues, but victory's certain, that's my strongest conviction.
1: I remember the first time, I remember, um, we were talking every day during that part of life and time in history, and, I remember you sharing that, and I remember getting goosebumps then as I am now, and I remember what that means for me um, to have heard that, and I know what it means to carry that. And I actually am really glad that you brought that today, and I'm glad that you reminded all of us and shared that with all of us today. That's a big conviction, and it's probably something that all of us need to hear. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that.
2: Of course. Thanks to my
1: grandma. Shout out her. Shout
0: out grandma. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. So we truly cannot thank you enough for coming here, Brie. I think like the great thing about this episode is, you know, a lot of these lessons that you have now bestowed upon the wonderful listeners of Gen Ziel, like Vahini and I have gotten them like, a year plus ago now like just through working with you and like being in the two years yeah wow um but just being in the same space with you um so like we've gotten to see the impact it has had on our lives so um i can only imagine i'm like ever so hopeful for the impact that it will have on anybody um and everybody who listens so thank you again for joining us um and thank you for being vulnerable with us and um yeah it's um, a pleasure as always
2: (laughs) thank you for having me it was truly the best way i could
1: spend a monday night all right (laughs) and to our listeners thank you for listening and goodbye
0: bye
1: Here's an update from Dylan about wanting a spouse from the greatest state in the nation.
0: Vahini is obsessed with New Jersey, and so it's only been natural that I've started to develop a certain love for the state. Um, Her recent victory in making every Midwestern around her fall in love with New Jersey was when I told her, dang, I need to marry someone from New Jersey. She hasn't let it go, and I don't suspect her to anytime soon.